Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to save more and spend less. And don't let anyone ever rip you off. And you and I have changed so much how we do things since the coronavirus era began for us in the United States in March. And not all of us have changed what we're doing, but a huge percent of Americans have changed so much about, think about people who have the privilege of being able to work from home instead of in an office. Think about the people who are shopping online instead of going to physical stores. And then think about the massive success of curbside pickup. You know, there have been a lot of businesses, restaurants, retailers that this last five months has been brutal and has caused a huge number of businesses of all types to close their doors. But there have been a small number of big winners in the shifts that have taken place. And perhaps the biggest winner of all has been Target. Target recently announced that their sales are up by basically 25%, the largest gain in the history of Target, which I think is like 60 years old. They've never, ever had an increase in sales like that. Their online sales are up just a whisker less than 200%. They were ready for this shift, not even knowing a pandemic was coming, and their customers wanted it too. And people doing what is called uh, by the analysts click and collect has been a huge success for them and many other players where you order online and instead of waiting for or paying for delivery, you go and you pick it up at a designated time. I use the Target app regularly now. I signed up for a red card because of coronavirus, and I get the 5% discount at Target. And the click and collect where you order on your phone, and within four hours, they tell you it's ready, and you go to the store. You pull up to the pylons where you pick up merchandise. And most of the time, within about 90 seconds, the person's coming out with your goods. At least that's been my experience. And we've done it dozens of times as a family uh walmart enormously successful just last night i went and picked up groceries from walmart that i ordered on the walmart app and picked up at the uh, the outdoor pickup area where you pick up the groceries it took four minutes 45 seconds i time every time for them to come out with my groceries last night slower than normal but this idea of having click and collect where you order online and you pick up at the store is very clearly part of the future after coronavirus 
as well as during coronavirus. Uh, USA Today put together a list of all the uh, stores that are doing online ordering and curbside pickup, and it's dozens and dozens of major chains. There's virtually not anything that you would want to order that you could not do this way. I did a click and collect at uh, Best Buy last week. I've, uh, I've now done one at Aldi. Now that Aldi does click and collect where you can pick up your order at the curbside of the store. And at Aldi, unique of, I think, of all the retailers that offer click and collect, you pay more to do curbside with Aldi than you do if you go in the store. It's cheaper than delivery at Aldi, but it's more expensive pricing than what you have in the store, even though you are at the door, at the store where you pick up your stuff. You do pay more, but Aldi's so cheap. I'm, I'm still happy with the pricing. It's not all Aldi's yet. It's just most. But you think about a retailer, and if they expect to survive, they're going to have to have a click and collect. And as I think I mentioned recently, if I haven't yet, here it is, FedEx, UPS, and the Postal Service are all instituting surcharges on deliveries through the Christmas shopping season. Big surcharges. Retailers are going to have to figure out how to get us, if we order online, to come pick up curbside. And they may do it with a price variance, that you pay more for things that are delivered than things that you pick up at the store. So it'll be your choice because delivery, even if they tell us it's free, is not really it's time for your questions you posted for me at clark.com slash ask. Producers Kim and Joel alternate. And Kim, who do you have a question from? This is from Matt in Virginia. And Matt says, I chose to do a $10,000 withdrawal from my company-sponsored 401k. I qualified under the CARES Act due to loss in hours, and I needed the money for home improvements. I see that they're waiving the penalty, but I'm still going to have to pay taxes on the withdrawal. My investment broker took out 10% for federal and also withheld state taxes for me. But if my tax bracket is 22%, does that mean that I'll owe the other 12% at tax time? Yes. The good news is you'll be able to spread the tax bill over three years. We've never had a provision like that, but you avoided the 10% federal penalty, and then the tax you actually owe will be collected over three tax seasons instead of over one if you elect that as an option. You also have the option, if you didn't need all the money on second thought, to pay the part back that you can afford to pay back, and you're allowed to redeposit, which normally would be something you would not be allowed to do. Joel? Clark Oliver in Arizona says, I have a CD nearing maturity. I see that online savings accounts are paying nearly the same percentage rates as one-year CDs right now. So should I renew my CD for another year or put the money in an online savings account? So 
the alternative is to do a one-year CD with the online bank that you would do an online savings account with. But the online savings rates likely having dropped from around 2% or near 2%, now at or below 1%, there's pretty good odds those rates are going to continue to drop. And if you have money you don't need in the next 12 months, I would really consider you putting that money into a one-year CD where you lock in the interest rate for these next 12 months. And you can shop those rates and find the best rate in the country if you go to bankrate.com and click on CD rates. There will be ones listed first that have paid for listing first. You scroll down, you'll see what are the best rates around. Kim? Gray in North Dakota says, Mr. Howard. Oh. I know, it's not even a Clark Stinks. He's calling you Mr. Howard. Gotta call me Clark. When my grandfather died, my grandmother began to fill her life with animals. She is now 69 years old, and she has guineas, ducks, geese, chicken, turkeys, turkins, dogs, cats, 30 horses, mules, and donkeys. Even more, really. I live two hours away, and as and her only daughter lives in Arizona, so I'm afraid that if my grandmother was to die, that I would be responsible for picking up this madness. I'm not concerned about the farm equipment, the birds, or the property. I'm really concerned about the large animals. The only way that I would know how to get rid of them is to put them up for auction, but my grandmother cries when I tell her that's where they would be going. Do you know of any alternatives that would result in the horses not being turned into glue? Well, first of all, I know it's distressing for you that your grandmom has been collecting all these animals, but it's kind of cool, too. Um, as far as when she's no longer capable of taking care of them, there are horse rescue groups around the country and in the Dakotas. Didn't you say South Dakota or North Dakota? North Dakota. The only state I've not been to in the country. In fact, I was walking the other day and a gentleman stopped me and said, hey, didn't you tell me North Dakota was the only state? Didn't I hear you say that North Dakota was the only state you hadn't been to? He said, me too. I just went. So now I'm ahead of you. <laughs> so I need to go see her animal collection. But anyway, um, going through one of the horse rescue groups would probably be the best way to make sure that the horses live out their days and don't end up as glue. Was that what he said? Yeah. Is glue, yeah. Joel? Clark Sherry in North Carolina says, are there any legitimate online businesses uh, available where I could work and make money working from home? And if so, can you uh, share with me how I go about finding those opportunities? Yes, and this is an area where the way you asked the question was very savvy because most of the things you see promoting or advertising work-at-home kind of things or independent business kind of things are scams. We have a list at Clark.com. There are others that also put out lists of legitimate organizations of groups that, as best we've been able to determine, are perfectly legitimate for you to work for independently in your own home at your own schedule. None of them pay a lot of money, but it is an opportunity out there for you to find legitimate work. Kim? 
Deborah in Massachusetts says, can you recommend the best way to sell a used vehicle? I'm not looking to trade it in. I'm a single person with two cars and I have found that the second car has become a burden because of the need to drive it all the time. Can you recommend the best way to sell this vehicle and how to get the best price? Yeah, this has become ultra easy and used to be very difficult if you weren't buying another vehicle. Now, the principal way that Carvana gets the vehicles that it sells to people are buying them from individuals. And Carvana has found that to be a more profitable way for them to build inventory than to go to the car auctions. Also, CarMax does this as well, where they will buy a car even though you're not buying a new one from them. Try both of them. In addition, a number of independent dealers, sellers of new vehicles on their used car lot will buy vehicles from you even when you're not buying one from the dealership. Sam is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Sam. How you doing? Hi. Good. Thank you. So, Sam, you have a, a very unusual mix of situations going on right now. You've taken a new job that has forced you into a pay cut. Is that right? That's right. I needed to have uh, a more flexible job because I'm going back to school full time. And um, so I did take a drastic pay cut. Wow. So you're working a full time job. You're going to school full time. And then do you have kids, too? Yes. How in the world are you superwoman or something? (laughs) Uh, Trying to be. I am impressed. Because uh, it, it's, a, it's a lot you're taking on. Well, how can I be of service? Well, I'm kind of new to the, uh, the whole retirement thing. Um, I had a 10-year pension with a company. Then I went out and got a job where, you know, it was like 55000 a year. And I had a, a 401k. They matched 2%. And I, you know, matched that. But I wanted to go back to school with the potential to make, you know, double that kind of money when I get done with my school. But this new job I have doesn't have a 401k unless you're with them for a year. And also, I had just started doing the traditional IRA and the, um, what is the other IRA called? The Roth IRA. So I have both. I've been doing that for a few years, and I have about 7000 in each. Uh, But this year, I want to maximize, because I have such a pay cut, I want to maximize my um, tax refund. So I want to know, should I put all of my money instead of doing what I normally do, putting both equally into both the Roth and the traditional, or should I just put all in the traditional to maximize my tax refund this year? So you said before you were making 55. What are you making now? Uh, around 30 to 35, depending on like if I have overtime available, but probably no more than like 35. Okay. So the tax deduction you're going to get from the traditional is not going to be worth it because your tax rate is for income tax you know you still have to pay social security and medicare Mm -hmm. tax but your tax rate for income is low enough now that it's only to your advantage to contribute to the roth okay now there is something else too you may be eligible for what's known as the savers credit has anybody mentioned that to you uh no Mm -mm. so there's this obscure thing called the savings credit that gives you money towards a retirement account 
if your income is lower and right now because of the change you've made career-wise your income is lower and it will actually give you a credit on your taxes for contributing to an account um, when you are you a head of household filer yes okay so for you as head of household the savers credit may pay 20 percent of what you contribute into a retirement account okay and i want you to if you have the moment you can do it look at uh, go to irs.gov and look at form 8880 it's actually written in simple english and it'll explain to you what you would have to do to qualify for this savers credit as a head of household. And then the federal government would actually pay part of the cost of you having a retirement account. So just an idea, and I want to wish you the best with full-time work, full-time school, raising two kids so you can have a future that you would really love to have. Great to have you here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about your empowerment with knowledge so that you have control of your wallet and your financial future. That's what the show's about. That's what we're here for. But there are times that you'll hear advice from me, information, guidance, and you feel like I didn't do a good job. Or you hear me answering somebody's question, and you feel like my answer was incomplete or lame. I need to know that from you because this is different than a normal talk show. This is about us all learning together and helping each other. So if you hear me give advice or information that does not sound right to you or sounds flat out wrong, please take a moment to go to clark.com slash clarkstinks and post where I messed up in your opinion. Others can see what you posted. They can comment on it. They can agree. They can even disagree with you in the posts that they would follow on with. And then weekly, our producers, Kim and Joel, read highlights of posts from Clark Stinks for you right here on the show. I should have never encouraged you to speak. You must think I'm pretty stupid. You should be ashamed of yourself. Well, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you're right, pal. All right, Clark, let's get into it. First up today, this is from Linda. Linda says, I love your show and you've always kept me company on many dog walks, but here's something that always bugs me. When you are so vague and you say something is only a good idea when you have a huge amount of money, what the heck is huge? For some, huge could mean $100,000. For our others, it could be a million dollars. Could you please give general numbers when you, state, when you say stuff like this? That is a great piece of advice. And you're right. Everybody's definition of a huge amount of money varies. Um, one of the areas that I'd say comes up a lot is people that are being pitched what I think are terrible insurance ideas by salespeople. And uh, typically I'll say, if somebody's looking as an example at a whole life insurance policy, you have to be a huge income earner, which I tend to define is more than 400000 a year. 
Again, I think that most any of us would consider that to be a huge income. Now, for Jeff Bezos, that's what he earns in about a nanosecond. But for the rest of us, that would be a huge check. Joel? Clark, this one's from Dwight. He says, I've always loved your show, but I was shocked when you recently came clean and admitted you do not follow your own often repeated advice about investing in target retirement funds, but rather have only three years worth of living expenses and bonds rather than 40 to 60% of an entire portfolio, which is what most target retirement funds would have at your age. I'm your age, Clark, and I've missed out on huge amounts of gains following the target retirement advice. Clark, you should have told us 20 years ago that you don't follow your own advice on this, but instead have just a tiny amount of your portfolio in bonds. That is an interesting post. So in my situation, I have enough assets that it doesn't really lend towards normal guidance and advice. I have no debt and haven't carried debt in forever in my life. And so for most income earners, doing target retirement funds that become more conservative the closer you get to your targeted year of retirement is very, very sound advice. In my daughter's case, who's 31 and has been out working for a number of years, I recommended to her, and she has all her 401k money in a target retirement fund. She has all her Roth IRA money in a target retirement fund. Because for a typical income earner, especially someone who's not going to aggressively um, not aggressively um, invest, but within the money they have, aggressively watch it and manage it. Doing something as autopilot, like a target retirement fund, is a very smart, diversified choice. Kim? This was posted by quite a few people, but uh, specifically this one's going to be from a message board user named Vanilla Wafer. Vanilla Wafer says... I like that. <laughs> Me Do you too. ever eat vanilla wafers? like one of my favorite treats one of my favorites you know what i mean i've known you 23 years and i never knew that oh yeah I'm, i know what to get you for your next birthday definitely i'm all vanilla no chocolate person all right so vanilla wafer says normally when people call in complaining about their homeowner's insurance premiums you explain that it's due to the cost of rebuilding and not the value of the home but recently, a caller asked you how to tell if she had enough coverage, and you told her to look at comps in her neighborhood to find out the value of her home. In the past, you've always told people to ask a builder and find out how much it costs to rebuild per square foot. And that is the right advice. And I don't know exactly the context of the particular caller you're referring to. And maybe I gave a bad answer to that caller. But you can get a general idea of values in your neighborhood, and that would be uh, too little coverage to have on your home because of the issue of rebuilding. And that's why I recommend that you do, if you can find a local builder, find out what it costs typically per square foot to remodel or to rebuild in your area or add an addition. That cost per square foot gives you the ability to figure out what would be adequate coverage for your homeowner's insurance? Joel? Clark Eddy says, not sharing the cost of your solar farm and battery backup system is incomplete and somewhat disingenuous since my guess is that you might have spent $100,000 or more for that solar farm. 
So even with the income from selling excess power, it could take a very long time to recoup the investment. So please tell your listeners what it costs and how many years it took to recoup the costs. Sure, that's a great question. So uh, the, the last solar install I did was, because I've done three over the years, was 40-something, 40, 40 and then I got a 30% federal tax credit. It was just under 30000 after the tax credit. I don't have battery backup because that was not a technology existing at the time. And the payback on it, you know, who knows really the best guess that I was able to come up with at the time I installed it was a 12-year payback. Although today, typically because panels have gotten so much cheaper than that install eight years ago, that the payback cycle should be quicker. And you have the access to the batteries, which makes the math formula on solar so much better than it was when I did it. Kim? From Jeff. Clark, would you stop perpetuating the myth that the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result? Come on, you have a brain. You know that can't possibly be the definition of insanity. I can't believe how many otherwise intelligent people I hear saying that ridiculous statement. Do you imagine that insane asylums are just full of people doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results? Look up the actual definition in any dictionary, and I'm sure you'll find something different. Thank you for that post. And you're taking literally an old business phrase. And I apologize if you take offense at it. The idea is that if somebody keeps doing the same thing over and over again and expecting things to change, then they really are deluding themselves. And so maybe that's a that would be a better way to say it, although it's a much more pithy phrase to say that. And I did not mean offense by referring to that as the definition of insanity. Obviously, literally, that has nothing to do with the definition of being insane. Joel? Clark, this one's from Mario. He says, callers have asked how to donate to charity, get a tax deduction, but also avoid the flood of junk mail afterward. Clark, you didn't have a great answer for this, but I do. Set up your own charitable giving account call, uh, called the Donor Advised Fund. Move either cash or appreciated shares from your taxable account into the fund. This gets you the tax deduction. Then you give the money from the fund to the charity anonymously, and all three boxes are checked. Well, that is a great suggestion on multiple grounds, and it's something that I've only answered maybe a couple of questions in the last 10 years about donor-advised funds, but this is a very tax-efficient way, particularly for more affluent people, to donate money that they wish to go for good works. It allows you, if you donate shares instead of cash, if you have a stock or mutual fund or index fund or whatever that's increased significantly in value, you can donate it, not have to pay the capital gains tax you'd owe on that, and your tax deduction is based on the full value of the contribution at the time you gave it. Then you have a fund that can be uh, named after you, and that fund, when you grant, you make a nomination for who you'd like to grant money to, whatever charity, as long as they're a real charitable organization, that will be approved, 
and the money will go to that organization. It is a great charitable method and a great tax method as well. I had never thought about it as a way to eliminate all the junk mail solicitations from charitable organizations. Kim? This is from Steve. Steve says, hello, Clark. Well, you really stunk up the joint this week with your history lesson on the post office. It reeked. The post office woes go back to 2006 when the law was passed to require the post office to pre-fund 75 years worth of retiree health benefits in the span of 10 years, a cost of approximately $110 billion. No other business must do this. And the truth is that was a political move that was done to hobble the post office long ago, and it has had significant impact on the post office. And I'll just leave it there since we're not a political show. Joel? Clark Gary says, you don't stink, but I think you're losing your touch in saving people money. You recently advised someone to pay for a subscription to Consumer Reports in order to look up the most reliable vehicles. Many libraries offer access to Consumer Reports online for free, which would have been a much cheaper option. While I support funding the Consumer Reports organization, not everyone can afford that, particularly now. That is very good advice, and I just love that Consumer Reports is not ad-supported, but is supported strictly by its readers. So I guess that I had amnesia conveniently about the fact that you could get access for free at the library, and that's a great idea. I appreciate all your posts. When you feel that I have given an incomplete answer or a wrong one, please take time to go to clark.com slash clarkstinks and let me know. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company & Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Jesse joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Jesse. Hey, what's up, Clark? How are you? I'm doing great, thanks. Hope you are. Yes, I am, and I'm a, a big fan of yours. I'm really, I think it's really cool to be uh, on the air talking to you today. Thank you so much. So, so how can my, I serve you? Because you have an unusual thing you want to talk about. Yeah, so I'm saving up money, um, a down payment to buy a beachfront property next year in El Salvador. And I'm trying to decide whether if I should buy a land, a piece of land, and then just do a new construction build or just buy an existing home and do a remodeling. But in any case, do I need to have two separate loans, so two different down payments in order to make this happen? Or how does one go about buying uh, a property abroad? All right, Jesse, I don't know if you can tell I'm shallow breathing, but you're terrifying me. Okay, all right. And the reason is, (laughs) is, 
Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm doing my breathing exercises for yoga right now. Okay, I'm good. <laughs> All right. So I don't want you buying raw land. I want you to buy a property that already has a structure on it. Okay. And the reason is it's hard enough when you're in the hometown where you're building a property, but it's brutally difficult when you are looking at building in another country. And right. there, there's just too much risk for you. There's too many unknowns. You buy a piece of property with a structure, even if you got to do some renovations to it, that's so much better than buying raw land. And, you know, I say the same thing when somebody's looking at buying a, a piece of property at a lake or a mountain or something like that within 200 miles of where they live. I always say the same thing. Don't buy raw land. Buy land that already has the house on it. Okay. And so then as far as buying property in a foreign land, in your case, buying in El Salvador, you need a local lawyer on the ground there involved who can teach you the ropes and make sure that you are truly going to get good and marketable title. You also want to know if there is a title insurance product you can buy because as you, okay. as you may or may not have heard, there have been problems both in Mexico and Central America with people buying property, then having trouble uh, with the title, their ownership being challenged. All and right. th that's why you need local, good local help on the ground. Um, okay, was well, not aware of that. Okay. As far as how you finance a property in El Salvador, I have no idea. I'm of right. no help on that. But the lawyer who you end up talking to locally should absolutely be able to advise you on that how expensive oh. a purchase is it where you're looking in el salvador to buy a property with a home already on it um probably in the neighborhood of like uh 140 to 250,000 okay you wouldn't want to lose that money if somebody came along later and challenged your title to it okay so no definitely not um, how much time have you spent in El Salvador? Um, I've probably spent a total of uh, two months. Okay, then I'm going to make even another different suggestion. I'm no fun at all today, Jesse. I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, I would like for you, when you first start wanting to spend time there at an oceanfront property, that you rent instead of buying a place now. Because I would want you to make sure it's the right beach area you're looking at. That if you're spending, sure. let's say you rent for six months or a year, you'll know where you should be buying. You'll know what true fair market value is. You'll know so much more than you can tell right now just as an occasional visitor. If you right. were to, to rent first and get the lay of the land and then buy. So think about it. I've gone all the way from your question to me wanting to know about buying raw land, oceanfront in El Salvador, to me trying to convince you to be a renter. But I just feel like 
that's the right way to protect your wallet. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.